welcome to the Oxygen Addict Triathlon Podcast. We're brought to you every week by our sponsors, PrecisionHydration.com, electrolytes in different strengths that match how you sweat. Get 15% off your first order with the code OxygenAddict15. And also brought to you by Thriver.co, the simple finger prick blood test you can do at home to track hormone, vitamin, and mineral levels in your body. 10% off all subscriptions with the code OxygenAddict10. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show. I hope you're well. This is the Triathlon Podcast that brings you news, interviews, product reviews, and hopefully a bit of inspiration and motivation as well. And I hope you're doing great this week. It feels like things are changing, doesn't it? It feels like things are turning a corner and getting a bit more hopeful. Um, I've got to say, I feel as I've got my mental capacity back over the last couple of weeks, and I'm inspired to get a bit of training done again. So I've been smashing out the rides on Zwift over the last week or so and absolutely loving it. And uh, I shall be talking a little bit more about that later on in Coach's Couch. This week's interview is with Jordan Rapp. Pro triathlete, he's a winner of Norseman, he's a winner of 11 or 12 other Ironmans as well, including Ironman Canada, New York, uh, and various other ones as well. He was a product designer for Zip, and he now works for Zwift as game designer and product designer there. So really really great interview with him, actually. Loads of stuff about his career and his racing. Um, Jordan, quite famously, back in 2011, was involved in a horrific accident where a car pulled out across his path he went in through the window of the car and severed his jugular vein and it was only because the car drove off and left him at the roadside basically to die and it was only because there was a guy coming the other way um jumped off his bike ran over and basically put his hand inside jordan's neck to stop his jugular vein squirting blood all over the road that that actually saved his life so um an amazing story of a comeback for him and he went on to win many more ironmans as well but a really interesting guy um still very into his athletics he's now riding on the track and as you'll hear in the interview i think he was national masters champion over the 3k pursuit last year and he's talking about an attempt on the overall us hour record as well so uh very talented hard-working athlete and working for zwift now obviously there's a lot of us on zwift a lot of the time so he's got some tips on things that are changing in the in the game of zwift to kind of gamify it a bit more so interesting developments there all right, first up today, news and results brought to us, sponsored by Precision Hydration. So they've got some very cool stuff going on at the moment. Um, I was very grateful the other day that they've released their, believe it or not, their Precision Hydration coloring book. Uh, it's a PDF you can download, you can print it out. And my son was loving coloring pictures of um, guys on time trial bikes and race cars and all kinds of stuff. So we had a lot of fun doing that. They make electrolytes in different strengths that match how you sweat. And that means all of us sweat out. Out at different concentrations of sodium from people who are not that salty sweaters all the way through to people like me who are incredibly salty. My sweat is something like six times more salty than the average commercially available electrolyte drink, something like Lucasade or Gatorade. So even if I'm drinking something like that, I am net losing tons of sodium with every hour of riding. So if you're a person who suffers from cramps when you're on the turbo or in the pool, or if you're a person who has you know, got quite ill and felt sick after a race, especially in the heat, it's a good lead that sodium is the, the missing element to your training and to your racing. So head on over to precisionhydration.com, take their online sweat test. It's just a few questions and it'll give you a really good lead as to whether you are a heavy sweater or a salty sweater 
both of which are not good for your performance. Um, and it's dead simple solution. You buy some precision hydration, you mix it into your bottle. Doesn't taste salty, believe it or not. They don't use sodium chloride like table salt. They use a different kind of sodium and it just tastes fairly neutral in your drink. It's a quite fruity tasting, pleasant mix actually. So you can mix it with all kinds of other stuff and very palatable and it replaces all of that sodium. So someone like me, incredibly salty sweater. I get cramps in virtually every pool and turbo session that I do if I'm not using precision hydration and every session I use it in, I don't get cramps. So for me, it's an absolute no brainer to keep on using that stuff. I think it's the best electrolyte product out there. So get yourself some and remember, use the code oxygenaddict 15 to get 15% off your first order. Right then, some news from this week. First up, the outlaw full distance in Nottingham in the UK has been cancelled officially this week. Obviously we, we knew the news was coming, having interviewed, um, Ian, the race director, last week, I think he was giving us a pretty good steer that it was headed that way. He was very, very hopeful it would get to go ahead, but I think it's just going to be too soon um, with everything else that's going on. So I'm glad for the athletes' sake that they know now that they've got that cancellation in place. Um, I think that's it for the big summer races in the UK now. So the next thing we've got our eyes on are the September events, really, 70.3 Weymouth, Ironman Wales, um, and all the other Ironman branded events and challenge branded events that have been shifted back in the calendar to September and October. Um, so keep yourself rolling in training, keep yourself, um, keep yourself motivated because those events are coming at some point in the horizon. Okay. So keep moving now. And if you've managed to develop yourself something of a, of a COVID belly, we'll call it. I've got a couple of, uh, a couple of friendly visitors on my tummy at the moment, a couple of pounds of extra lard that are sitting there looking <laughs> looking most unusual hanging over my shorts at the moment. So I'm trying to make a bit of a change to that and, and hit and swift to try and get in shape. So the carrot of some events in the autumn is something that I'm, I'm loving. Okay. However, open water swimming looks like it is back on the agenda, certainly here in the UK from Wednesday of this week, which will be the 14th of May. Open water swimming's allowed back in the UK. So if you're going to be jumping into the open water, just remember, if you've not done it before, you want to make sure that you are, of course, socially distanced, but swimming with someone who's done it before. My advice to you is certainly wear your wetsuit at this time of year because it's going to be cold. Get yourself one of those inflatable float bags, float tow bags that goes behind you. They're, they're at 20 quid from Wiggle or other places. It goes on a little, uh, little belt around your waist. You can inflate the bag with your stuff inside. You can put your car keys and things like that inside it, roll the end over, snap it shut, and then blow the bag up. And it doubles as a bag to tow your valuables around in and also to float you around if you you know, you know, go dizzy or you just want a bit of a breathe when you hold on to it. Um, I'm a very confident open water swimmer. I've surfed for close to 30 years. I've started using one all the time to swim with, not so much for me, but because I was involved in a couple of incidents where there were other swimmers in the water who needed help. And despite, you know, having trained as a lifeguard back in the day, it's 
it's pretty difficult to try and help somebody else stay afloat when they're panicking and you know having dizzy spells or you know properly panicking that they're going to go under so with the old float bag with you you can just give them the float bag to hang on to and you know no drama so 20 quid well worth spending it's also worth getting one of those ones that's fluorescent in color i think because then if as again as has been the case for me in the past i've been swimming down at our local lake that isn't a managed venue it's just uh, just a big open water place we can go and swim in um but someone came down and launched the motorboat as i was midway through my swim and i felt extremely exposed um even though i was only sort of 10 meters away from the shore having that inflatable brightly colored thing just lets those people know that you're there if you get caught out like i did so i know i'm not the only one who's had that happen to them so just look after yourself and the people around you as well okay other bits of news i've noticed we've got to take our hats off here to the legend that is i'm going to call him a legend from now on joe duckworth completed his indoor decker ironman so he did an ironman every day for 10 days he replaced the swim with a solid 12 kilometer 60 minute row every day um he then went on to bike in the region of between 445 and 530 for the for the bike leg on zwift every day um in fact i think his his last ride was down closer to 430 if you can believe that with the guys he was riding around with and he closed out his last day with a 313 marathon for a solid sub nine hour iron man indoor iron man on his 10th consecutive day of iron man so Super impressed with him. I'm going to hope to catch up with him sometime over the next week and get a little snippet with him from the show. But last time I checked, he'd raised over 13,000 quid for NHS charities. Um, Joe, as you'll remember me saying, is a previous winner of the Lakesman Triathlon. I think he went, I'm not sure whether he went sub nine. I'm pretty sure he went sub nine under Lakesman. He's been sub nine for sure outdoors as well. So um, very, very talented athlete in his early 50s and extremely hard working so hats off to you joe i think you are a legend sir and we salute you uh, it was also good to see another legend of the sport in a different way johnny brownlee was out in leeds giving out meals for nhs heroes he i think he gave out the hundred thousandth meal that um the charity he was helping out had given out to nhs staff which were given out for free which is pretty amazing now i mentioned Earlier on, that I've been super inspired to get back onto Zwift. Um, I've set my, I've needed a challenge. I've set myself the challenge of trying to, um, firstly, trying to ride the height of Everest on Zwift, up the Alp to Zwift and back down again. Um, each lap up the mountains about a thousand meters. So it's going to be, it's going to be a solid seven days worth of riding to, to go up and down and, and clear that up eight days of riding probably <clears throat> to get the eight and a half thousand meters or close to nine thousand meters needed to Everest. Um and I'm I'm quite taken with the idea of doing the old fifty thousand meters and getting one of those fancy Tron bikes as well. So that's what's the carrot that's motivating me at the moment. That and also trying to shift this unwanted COVID belly off myself as well. So I was riding along on God what day it must have been. It must have been Sunday morning and uh, old Lucy Gossage was on there with Nikki Bartlett and a couple of others as well. And they were trying to do the Everest ride and indeed did complete the Everest ride in one day in about 11 hours worth of riding, which is pretty damn phenomenal effort. So well done you lot, 11 hours of continuous riding indoors. 
And then I read about Phil Gaiman. A lot of you will know his name. He's an ex-pro and he's now sort of a professional Strava hunter and he runs a really cool YouTube channel. So check that out if you've not seen him before. He went outdoors and Everested outdoors and took the world record for the fastest ascent of you know, whatever it is, 8,800 meters in eight hours and four minutes. Um, so hats off to you. Absolute legend, man. Last little bit of news I saw is that Ironman have tightened the rules around their VR challenge. So as you know, there's been some, um, let's say some slightly suspect times on the Ironman VR challenge. They've had little control over where people are doing the ride. So there's been more than one occasion people have started their ride at the top of Alp to Zwift and, you know, clocked in at 60 kilometers an hour for the, the 40k ride. So what they've now said is they're going to have only rides indoors on Ruby to count for it and only outdoor runs to count for it. And I believe on a circular course where the start and finish are very close together to, you know, to basically stop people running downhill all the way. And I don't know this for sure, but I've heard a rumor that the reason they're tightening this up is they're going to have kind of two streams of this VR event running. One of them is a kind of you know, any rules apply, do it however you want, just enter and you can do it on Zwift and ride downhill and who cares what the results are. But they're going to have a competitive version of it. And the rumor is that they're you know, sort of testing this competitive version with the indoor only on Ruby, outdoor only on circular runs in order to start looking at perhaps give away 70.3 in Kona slots. So keep your eyes on the developments there. Again, it's only rumors at the moment, but I do know a couple of people on the inside who have, have rumored that to be the case. And I think it might be headed that way. So interesting one for you all to discuss on Facebook and Twitter there. Would you want a slot for Kona? Would you want a slot for the 70.3 world champs? If it could be earned on these indoor events, would you not want one? Would you turn one down if you won one in the events? How would you react to people around you winning them? It's an interesting question, isn't it? Should it all go ahead and, you know, the, the Kona race is moved to February of next year. So, yeah, interesting one. Okay, Coach's Couch this week. We're going to talk a little bit about how things are changing over time with relation to training and covid um, we've alluded to this over the last couple of weeks. Things feel like they're changing for the better. You know, we've obviously seen the infection rate here in the UK and around the world is dropping. The death rate is dropping. It looks like we managed to avoid that horrendous situation where hospitals and ICUs were completely overrun. So this this isn't coaching advice. This is just the feel I'm getting from talking with my athletes, talking with other athletes. It seems much more socially acceptable to go outside and ride these days just from the people I've talked to. I certainly didn't feel comfortable doing it myself for the first six or so weeks of COVID. And last week went out for my first outdoor ride. And I've got to say, it was the most unbelievable pleasure. It felt like talk about simple pleasures that are given back to you. It was pretty tough going around that first corner when I realized my avatar wasn't going to steer around it on its own, though. I've got to tell you that. Um, but it was really nice being outside in the sunshine, riding through the hedges. Yeah, it was a really, really nice day out. And I even had a, a ride out Saturday evening on the mountain bike and 
just went and poodle drowned, went up the canal, went through Altrincham Town Centre, which was which was literally like a ghost town. I saw one other person as I was riding down the main pedestrianised area in, in Altrincham. Despite, bizarrely, loads of fast food restaurants and chip shops and stuff were open, there literally was only one other person out on a bike that I saw during the whole ride, though. So who was getting the food? I'm not sure. Um, but it feels like things are changing. So within our training plans, we're moving back toward normal. In our next block, we're going back to having athletes do a couple of harder sessions a week, 90% sort of sweet spot type efforts in one session. We're going to do a 10-mile time trial in the other session. And again, ease into it, start at 90% week two, 95% week three, 100% of FTP. So again, well below what you would be able to go going flat out for 10-mile TT, but the way we're looking at it is a way to sort of ease into finding out probably where your realistic FTP is at the moment for athletes who've not done an FTP test for eight, 10, maybe 12 weeks. So we'll do 10 mile time trial at 90% of FTP, whatever you consider that to be at the moment. And we'll kind of find our way into where we you know, feel our way into what we think FTP is going to be at the moment. Um, and again, we're starting to look at doing longer rides and longer outdoor rides and I think it, it feels like there needs to be less concentration on the idea of protecting your immune system at all costs and more toward the idea of let's try and balance your mental health with doing things that you need to do and giving yourself some physical challenges. And who knows how it will develop over time. But I thought I'd share that with all the listeners who are not members of the team and not being coached by us just so that... I said right from the early days, I'll tell you what I'm thinking and it's not going to be dogma. It's not going to be something that we stick to forever. But as things change, I think it's important that we all talk about it and we talk about it with our training partners and see how it feels for us. Personally, we're still staying away from running really hard. I think that's an unnecessary stress at the moment. And we're doing some, you know, some hard work on the bike. But again, more for a sort of, the mental benefit of feeling good rather than the training effect of hammering yourself FTP at the moment. And again, that might be different in four weeks time, but that's where we are at the moment in the team with the athletes we coach. That's kind of our thinking at the moment. Um, if you are interested in getting some coaching, if you want a structured training plan at the moment and you feel it's something that will give you a little bit of uh, structure and focus during the times when there's all kinds of confusion going on, uh, you can come and join Team Oxygen Addict and get coached by me within there. If you join in the month of May and take out an annual membership, I'm going to extend your annual membership all the way through to the end of September of 2021. So you'll get all of this summer for whatever races happen and all of next summer as well, all the way through, you know, I'm on Weymouth, 70.3 Weymouth, sorry, I'm on Wales, I'm on Italy, all those races in September next year. So essentially two race seasons for the price of one, get your structured training in place now and then really be in top shape and ready to go in 2021. So if you're interested in any more details about that, there's a link in the show notes. Um, you can either click on that if you want to join up or you can book a Skype or phone call with me to talk things through and we'll see if you're a good fit for the team. So yeah, get on that. 
Uh, you can also come and join us and have a taster of our training on our Zwift ride, Tuesdays, 7.15pm UK time. Uh, it's called the Oxygen Addict Triathlon Podcast Power Hour. You can just select it from the events menu in the top right-hand corner. Just get yourself there 10 minutes or so before. So from sort of 7 o'clock onwards on Tuesdays, UK time. The workouts are sort of aimed at giving you a structured interval session that's going to raise your FTP and make you a faster, more powerful bike leg and an all-round athlete, really. Okay, so the interview of the week is sponsored by Thriver.co. They do at-home finger prick blood tests. So for athletes, you can get things tested like your iron levels, your testosterone levels, your hematocrit, your liver function, vitamin B9, vitamin B12, vitamin D, in fact, all of your vitamin levels. And if you're interested in health tracking, you can get things tracked like thyroid function, diabetes, cholesterol, omega-3, omega-6, anything and everything you can want. You can select from a drop-down menu and add in and take away. Everything's really clearly listed and clearly priced. And you can just have a one-off test or you can set up a subscription to have that every three months, every six months. I personally have one done about every four months and just check in on myself and make sure the level's where they are. And it's really good for me when I was, you know, sort of six, eight months ago feeling really unwell and discovered that I had extremely low vitamin B12 and vitamin D levels and was able to supplement and change my diet and get those back on track. And um, yeah, ended up feeling awesome again. So I'm very thankful to those guys. I highly recommend recommend them uh, and you can get yourself 10% off with the code oxygen addict 10 all right so that's all our sponsors done that's all of our uh, news and reviews for this week so let's go over to our interview of the week with Jordan Rapp all right we're live Jordan welcome to the show it's uh, it's lovely to have you on man how are you doing today I'm doing well thanks for having me on well first of whereabouts are you in the world I know you mentioned it was seven o'clock are you are you west coast yeah, I live uh, outside of L.A. Um, in the suburbs, uh, about an hour from Zwift uh, headquarters, uh, but haven't been there in a while now. So, uh, <laughs> right now, I'm basically stuck at home like everybody else. But uh, yeah, I live in a beautiful area, a town called Thousand Oaks. I moved here about, uh, I guess, 11 years now, almost, uh, mostly because the training here was really good. Moved here uh Sort of came down to do some training before uh, a race and then just kind of never left. Uh, great area for swimming, biking, and running. And now it's a great area to raise a family. So fantastic, man. Well, listen, let's start off by, let's start by talking about your, your pro career and your, your adventurous pro racing career because you were always one of the guys who I mentioned in the pre call. I always used to love reading your blogs. I used to love following your racing. Um, and I also loved the fact that. It seemed from your writing that although you enjoyed winning traditional Ironman races, what seemed to really fire you up was the the crazy, adventurous, sort of slightly slightly out there races that were around at the time. Things like the the Epic Man and things like that. Um, and I was reading on your blog just before I came on here. I didn't know this, but you've been over and done Norseman as well. So there's obviously a, you've got a huge wealth of experience to tell us about the crazy races. So let's start by asking you, what was the, what was the favorite race you did in all of your time? racing? Uh, I think probably, uh, the Ironman Canada on the Penticton course would be my, my all time favorite race. A lot of that is that's my wife is from Penticton. Okay. So that was like a hometown race for me. So like it was the first Ironman that I won. And then after I, uh, had my 
bad car accident, then it was like the next Iron Man that I won sort of like coming back. Um, and so, you know, and, and both times we were living in, in Penticton, uh, you know, when I, when I won it. And it's funny, if you go, they, they have this awesome, they have like a sort of a celebration plaza that is like, I think they're bronze plates in the ground that has the name of every winner. And it's funny because in night, if you look around, like I have two in, in 2009, it says Jordan rep USA in the time. And then in 2011, I guess they had like taken. So it says Jordan rep Canada. <laughs> right. So it's funny that like, you're like, wait, did he change nationality? I mean, the answer is no, I didn't, uh, you know, and I am not a Canadian citizen, but I guess uh, the town of Penticton felt like they owned me enough that uh, I could be called a Canadian. It officially adopted you. That's that's when you know yeah. you've really made it, man. When the when the hometown claim you as one of their own. Yeah. So I would, you know, that was the race that uh, I think I really felt defined. You know, I think put me a little bit like on the map, so to speak. And then I think kind of proved that I was back. And then I think it was always the race that, like, when I thought about the types of courses that I like to race on, the type of uh, you know that is a good hard slow kind of grind course and uh i think that was always the type of course that i did best on okay well how did you get into triathlon in the first place then what was your what was your entry into the sport i was a rower in college uh a pretty good rower um and then i was hoping to make i had been sort of on the cusp of making the u.s national team through college and then afterwards you know i think like most people that are in olympic track sports like i thought you know see if i could give it a go to try and make the U.S. team uh, for it would have been uh, Athens uh, 2004 and, you know, didn't left a structured environment of a collegiate team and didn't really have a good grasp at that point of, you know, training methodology and just, I thought, oh, I, I know what I'm doing, right? I've done this for four years and I definitely didn't know what I was doing and didn't do a very good job of kind of managing myself and ended up uh, getting injured and then sort of was realized that I wasn't going to have a chance. This would have been 2002, uh, 2003 kind of window. So I was thinking, okay, I need to kind of take a break from rowing, but I do want to stay fit if I'm going to have a chance to kind of like get back. And so I knew a couple of triathletes that, uh, like I had a road bike, used it as cross training for rowing. And I knew some other triathletes that did, uh, sorry, some other rowers that did triathlon. And so I thought, oh, you know, like, that'd be all right. I, I thought about bike racing, but I went down, I knew nothing about drafting. And so when I asked how fast they went there, and like, there's a local crit and they were like, oh, I don't know, you know, 40 K an hour. And I was like, I could never ride that fast. I guess I better try something else, you know? Uh, and so I ended up trying triathlon and was, had a, some pretty good success in local races. And the local coach was like, you're pretty good. You should become a pro. And I thought, I am pretty good. I should become a pro. And thankfully, like we were both ignorant enough that it actually seemed like a good idea in spite of being a terrible idea. Sort of by the time I realized it was a terrible idea, I was good enough that it was no longer a terrible idea. Had you uh, had any kind of swimming background before you went into triathlon? I mean, I grew up swimming, but I did not grow up a swimmer, right? Like I grew up, you know, I was very, I mean, we grew up swimming in lakes and all of that so i was comfortable swimming in open water i didn't have like fear of open water and i certainly okay. knew how to swim but i you know i was not a competitive swimmer i would you know, i was always a, a competent swimmer right like i think you know I, I started doing a little bit of swimming even when i was actually still in college just for rowing for kind of some upper body you know and i would say at that time if, if you were just like 
I think the first time I got in, you know, probably for a 1500, you know, I would have been sub 30 minutes, right? So not like setting the world on fire, but also obviously like able to, you know, yeah. I knew how to flip turn, right? Like I did yeah. all of that stuff. So, you know, could swim all four strokes, you know, kind of relatively badly, but like at least like if you were like swim, you know, like the butterfly, like I sort of knew what that meant and how to do it. So, you know, from that standpoint, right? Like it was, uh, it was always the weakest, but I certainly came in as a, as a competent swimmer. Yeah. Okay. And then when you got into triathlon and what was your initial, what was the distance that fired you up initially? Were you initially coming in thinking Olympic distance and your eyes got drawn further North or were you immediately someone who thought, right, long distance is where it's at for me? No, I mean, I, you know, I, I had come from rowing right in six minute races. So, I mean, the idea of even like a sprint race was quite long. Um, you know, and I, as a rower, right, I had wanted to go to the Olympics and then I, you saw that triathlon was then an Olympic sport. And I thought, Oh, you know, maybe, maybe that's, uh, the way that I can sort of fulfill this Olympic dream. And, uh, I, I think that was definitely, that was definitely my focus for, I think quite a while until I had sort of done some of the bigger Olympic distance races. And I just saw like how important the swim was and, you know, how fast the run was and sort of, that my strength at the time, which was really cycling was kind of less important, uh, you know, for, for draft, you know, and I also just thought the difficulty into getting into draft legal racing. Right. I think once I started to understand like the difference in the mechanics, it was like, Oh, that's a very different sport. Uh, yeah. And so I think then I was drawn a bit to half Ironman, which seemed at the time, you know, very long, uh, for me. Um, but I thought, you know, that was where I would kind of, stay for a while um and then you know i think uh when i did my first ironman it was it was really by chance like i literally signed up for the race uh on a friday and the race was on sunday no way yeah. come on there's got to be more of a story to it behind behind it than that how do you end up signing up for a race on a friday and and racing on the sunday so I had been doing, this was 2007, I had been doing the, like I knew, I, it was clear then, right, that I was sort of more suited towards longer distance. Sure, uh, yeah. I had been racing this, this series, Try 101. Um, it was, I forget who, who put it on now. And they, they did the first race down in Florida. And I had gone down and had a bit of a mishap there. And, uh, but then the second race was in this place up in Northern California, beautiful, this area called clear lake which i still think i hope they bring a race back there i mean it's just it's like very hilly you know brutal bike course uh and i ended up having a very good race there finishing second i think i made six thousand dollars which was like far and away the most i'd ever made it was a great series i think you know they have good prize money it was a good distance it was like a i think it was something like it would be like a six hour kind of similar to like the it long distance type of distance ah uh, like, okay yeah say. I want to say yeah like a 3k swim 130 or 40k bike and then maybe like a 30k run yeah thereabouts okay um it was 101 miles total. right uh, got you yeah yeah and so then basically i had been planning to do then the third race in the series uh and then i got this notice on a wednesday that i guess the sponsors had pulled the money out and they were just like i oh, were canceling the whole series and i thought like well what am I going to do? And then I was, I, this, I was at the time living uh, and training in Victoria, British Columbia with Simon Whitfield. 
And so I was like, Ironman Canada is on Sunday. You should do that. <laughs> and I was like, that's crazy. Uh, this was, so this was on a Wednesday, right? And, and then uh, uh, and I was like, so then I wrote to some people that I knew. like, uh, And I was like, do you think I could actually get into the race? And they were like, we can ask. And so like asked and someone asked on my behalf, uh, asked Paula newby Frazier, And she was like, yeah, fine. Like, give them a slot so a big deal and i mean th this was where i was fortunate right that victoria's you know less than an hour flight from penticton uh and then i was like ah you know and i sort of thought about it I was like that's crazy i shouldn't do that and then like literally on the thursday i'm like uh maybe maybe right and then like friday i ended up talking with dan effield and he's like on that day on the thursday night i think he's like you should do it and then friday morning i wrote back and i was like can i still have entry and they said yes my now wife was back living in Penticton and I said Jill can I come stay with you um and she said of course right so I literally like uh, thankfully right it's such a short flight that you I mean I booked a flight for like two hours from Ryan okay you know and I basically book a flight pack up my bike box fly out you know I have a I had a like I missed the pro briefing and everything like that so I had on Saturday like a one-on-one -on -one pro briefing with Paula and she was like okay forget all the other stuff you know what it is she's like don't make us look bad don't make a fool of yourself right finish <laughs> I was like okay right like that was like her briefing right like those three rules right like you know make Iron Man like don't make Iron Man look bad don't make yourself look bad and make sure you finish right like so basically essentially don't embarrass anybody uh, good rules so, for okay, life man good rules for life and then of course in typical fashion right like there's a there's these couple cobbled sections like early like where pentagon has these brick and uh didn't this was like back in the days before like there were good bottle like the really tight bottle cages and everything and i had ejected like one of my bottles going over these things and then like sort of stop and get the bottles back in and then i'm writing there's another one and i'm like oh, i'm gonna lose my bottles again so i basically go one-handed and i put my hand back and I ended up then crashing. So I'm like less than a K into the bike ride. And oh. I crash and I leap from my arm. And all I can think is like, don't embarrass yourself, right? Don't embarrass Iron Man and make sure you finish. So like, I'm like, oh, I'll be fine. I look at my elbow. I'm like, the swim is done. I don't need my arms anymore. You know, it'll be fine. I kind of like hang my elbow out into the breeze. The wind dries the blood. I ended up getting stitches afterwards, uh, but it was fine. I ended up, I think, coming off the bike in third and then ended up basically getting passed in like the last like 3k by two guys and so it was this the guy who won was like way out ahead and second place was pretty far out ahead and then it was like one minute between third and fourth and then one minute between me fourth and then me in fifth and that was how i got started doing ironman racing wow that's brilliant well i was looking back i was looking back over your career and, and the races that you've won for people who who don't know you so see you won canada did you win it twice or three times yeah. Yeah, twice the third, three wins in Canada. It's Montremblant, wasn't it, the third yeah. one? And yeah, it was the third. You also had a win at Arizona, ITU World Long Distance Championships win. You had a win at Texas. You had the win at New York, which I'd love to talk to you about because I think a lot of people racing now don't even know that Ironman New York happened and it was it was in Manhattan right so yeah so so talk us through that that was a that was like a one and done event wasn't it so yeah I mean it was a race that I had not planned on doing it um it's I mean I'm from New York like literally like this is that really like, was I your hometown race the swim course start like uh, almost from like my parents house where they still live yeah right and so it was and so but 
you know, they talked about the logistics and the bike course. I didn't think when they talked about how it went was not awesome. And I was like, I don't know that I want to do that. And then when they first announced it, I was like, okay, it's sort of hometown, but it doesn't, it doesn't seem like it's a great, I wasn't, yeah, it just didn't really captivate me. But then I went, and this was before I went to Texas, and then I went and I ran in Texas, uh, and I finally broke 250 for the marathon. Um, and I thought, like, okay, like, I should go to Kona. But at that point, it was the KPR system. And I thought the only way I'll go is if I have a lot of points. And I said, and so New York was a championship race, right? It was the U.S. championship. And so I thought, okay, if I go to New York and I win, right, like, those two wins, Texas and New York, like, there's no way I won't go. Um, so I made a plan, you know, then to do it. It ended up being a, a really good course. The bike course was way harder than I thought it would be. Um, the run course was just brutal. It's like New York in mid-August. So, I mean, like I remember racing Kona after that, and it was like it didn't even feel hot in Kona compared to New York in August. Uh, <laughs> and I think it was – I think once I sort of got my head around the idea of like what if somebody else – one Ironman New York, right? Like, I'm like, this is like, like, I mean, you know, Pentagon was like a hometown race, but I mean, like, this is like where I was born and raised, right? I was like, I can't really imagine somebody else winning. So I think once I sort of got into it, I was, I was really into it. I was, I'm, of all the races that I've done, I can't believe that I had ever thought about not doing it, right? Like, and once I did it, I was like, I'll probably always race this. And then, you know, got canceled. I think, I ended up not racing well in Kona that year, but that was because I think I had a contractual agreement to do the Leadman series, and I really, really enjoyed that. But doing a, you know, an, an eight plus hour race three weeks before Kona is is yeah. not all as deal. <laughs> well, listen, tell us about that then, because in fact, does Leadman does the Leadman Epic try still exist? Was it one of those mm-hmm. ones that no? Yeah, it was right. a... I seem to have a long history of like I am the only winner of Ironman New York, and I'm the only person <laughs> to ever win a, a Leadman uh, Epic 250 race. So I won the first one in Las Vegas, and I won the second one in Bend, Oregon. And they had a 125, like a half distance in Vegas, because they said the full distance in Vegas was too hard. Which I was like, really? What? No, like it was, it was yeah. awesome. Yeah, uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, so no one else has you know three races that uh, I will be forever the you know, course record holder. So what, what, what yeah. were the distances of that of the Leadman race then? Because I remember I remember reading your report about this at the time on Slow Twitch, and it was some ridiculous single loop bike course. Yeah, um, yeah. So I mean, the the Ben course was 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 a kind of two inner loops, but the the other the one in Vegas was just this huge out and back uh, in in Lake Mead State Park. I mean, you know, uh, so it was I think five five k swim. 223k bike and then like 14 or 15k run it ended up being 250k that's where the yeah okay overwhelmingly on the bike right and but it was a a long swim longer than a an ironman's swim it might have been 4k swim something like that um yeah 5k seems long i don't remember exactly yeah and then and then you had this huge loop like this you went out and like me i mean it was i want to say you know like almost four thousand meters of climbing right so well over ten thousand feet and i think it was uh the average temperature was like just a shade under 100 right like 36 37 celsius on the one in in the one in in ben then of course it was actually it was 28 degrees uh fahrenheit so like minus at the start 
so very different races, uh, you know, between those two. But the, the Vegas one was really the one that I thought that they should have kept. I mean, it was like, it was easily, I think, the hardest triathlon in the whole U.S. I mean, like that time, that bike course, just yeah. so crazy. Yeah. And was there a, was it, was that the one you got a big belt buckle for completing? Do you get a huge yeah, the silver? second one, the one in, the one in Vegas, in, the one in, in Vegas, they didn't really have like any kind of trophies, but then, uh, it was a lifetime fitness and then lifetime fitness ended up buying, uh, the Leadville, uh, cycling race. And so they kind of wanted to make lead man like the equivalent. So they did the belt buckle thing the second year. Yeah. So I had this huge belt buckle. Right. Um, okay. And then what year was it that you went to Norseman? So that was actually like basically Norseman was the last race that I did. Uh, I ended up racing in Santa Cruz, like a half iron man, but mostly because a friend was racing and like, you know, I was, you know, I sort of, I knew I had was retired and I thought like, Oh, you know, it'd be good to just kind of go and have one last go. But I mean, Norseman was the last race I really like prepared for. And that was sort of 2017. I mean, I literally, I got back from Norseman uh, and sort of, you know, reconnected my phone. Um, you know, I had like, put it in a different sim right for while well, i was because i was over in europe for almost a month um, okay i raced in iceland and i went to denmark uh and hung out in denmark for a while training uh, with my coach uh, and then went over to norway and then went actually back to iceland with a friend of mine who had come to be my crew for norseman and we spent like you know i think three or four days in iceland kind of on the way uh in nor yeah did like norway and then iceland so i did some sightseeing and stuff so i was away and got back and basically pop in my regular sim and see some t- text messages from John Mayfield, founder, creator of Zwift, being like, hey, I'd like to talk to you about something. Uh, and uh, that was ended up being the job offer that uh, I took. Uh, so basically, I, yeah, Norseman was the last race I did and essentially retired from being a pro and started working at Zwift two weeks later. What a way to retire, hey? Well, listen, I want to come back to Zwift in a minute because we've we've kind of skipped over a big part of your story, which was, and I don't know the exact year, was it sometime 2009 when you had your... 2010, March 23rd. You had your big bike crash. So tell us the story of that because I remember reading reports for this at the time and thinking it, I mean, you're lucky to be alive, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, I the story would have to be pieced together. Right. Like I, it's all I don't actually know what happened. Um, but essentially, I was riding a car pulled out in front of me. I hit it and went through the side window and the glass basically oh. severed a bunch of the veins on the side of my neck. And guy drove off and I was sort of just left in the middle of the road, just bleeding out. And then a, a, a Navy enlisted uh man coming back from the naval base that you know was sort of was down there and basically he just stuck his hand as he said he stuck i stuck my hand inside this softball size hole in your neck felt for something pulsing and pushed down uh, and then he just sort of held me there until the ambulance arrived right and uh wow. you know i think that lost like three liters of blood and they said they probably had another two minutes if he hadn't intervened and you know it took about eight minutes for the ambulance to arrive so Eight minutes is way longer than two minutes. Uh, yeah. So there's a question that uh, I would have died. Um, yeah, and, you know, I thought I was done with bike racing. Certainly riding indoors was not a thing at that point, right? I mean, some people did it, but they were weird. Right? So <laughs> like, getting back on my bike was, you know, was a huge challenge. I didn't, you know, it took me a long time before I even thought I wanted to get back on my bike. And so, 
Yeah. I mean, it's strange, right? I mean, it was, uh, you know, just over 10 years ago now, and it doesn't uh, doesn't feel like that. Um, you know, I think there is a lot of... Uh, I'm super glad for Zwift as a way for people who, uh, you know, I, I am unfor- fortunately, unfortunately in touch with a lot of people who have been in similar accidents, sort of with the, like, how did you get back on the bike? How did you sort of... You know, and I feel very fortunate to be able to give them some advice that's hopefully not all bad. And yeah, um, but I think it's nice that Zwift is uh, around as a way to provide a path back to normalcy, right? Like I remember riding and you know trying to watch a movie on like this kind of clunky, like you know, fluid trainer, and I was like, this is not fun, right? Like yeah. I'm not gonna make, it, like I am not gonna make it back doing this, right? Like I, I, uh, you know, I have to ride outside, like that's. That's why I do this, right? Like I do this so that I can go ride my bike, you know, for a living kind of thing. Uh, but it was a huge challenge to to kind of finally get back, and it took a long time too because for a while, uh, because of damage afterwards, like you know, I had a really bad break in the collarbone, and so it was like I couldn't ride outside. So I basically wasn't riding, you know. And I think that's where I look at, you know, people now, where it's like they can just get back on their bike you know, trainers are better, you have, you know, not just Zwift, but I mean, there's a ton of other options as well. I mean, there's, riding inside is now a thing in a way that it wasn't then. Um, yeah, yeah. How how hard was it for you and, and, and how long did it take you to get back to the point where you felt comfortable riding outdoors? Because, I mean, that's a, that's a traumatic event that's happened to you. If you put the, even just put the crash aside, it's a, it's a horrible trauma to go through and try and recover from, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I would say I've never, I've never gotten totally uh, back to kind of putting it. You never put, I never would say I put it behind me in that regard. Yeah. Right? Like say I'm always aware. And I think, you know, uh, I was really glad when kind of gravel became a thing you know, like I ride, I ride probably eight to 10 hours a week now. Um, sort of like, I don't, don't run anymore, which I miss a little bit, but I'm, you know, I, I do quite enjoy kind of focusing on cycling, uh, swimming, you know, I don't think anybody's doing that because the pools are closed. Uh, but yeah, I mean, but I, you know, I really, cycling was the thing that I sort of did, you know, that's how I got into triathlon because I had come there. It was away from rowing. So cycling was the, th- I actually thought I would, I would stop cycling as soon as I retired, uh, because of my accident but the reason that i was able I, I have kept cycling is because of zwift and then because of gravel where i you know live quite close to quite good trails you know and then i've picked up riding on the track so i ride probably eight to ten hours a week almost every week uh, and of that probably less than an hour is on the road okay uh, yeah well, and, and that's because i just uh, you know i wouldn't uh, I, I don't have any desire to sort of spend a lot of time on the road yeah, and, and I can totally understand that. Um, well, listen, you just touched there on the fact that you, you did a little bit of track riding, which I think is a, a lovely, humble way to skirt over the fact that you were 2019 Nast- Masters National Track Champion in the 3K pursuit. <laughs> is that something that you really enjoy now, the, the, something completely different and probably quite close in time to the, the original rowing race that you came from right back in the day, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I love riding the track. You know, I think Masters Worlds uh, was going to be my focus this year. Come over to Manchester. Um, you know, I thought uh, looking at the times, you know, I had a, quite a good chance uh, of winning that. Um, 
you know, I think uh, I'm interested in taking a crack at the hour. I think the U.S. hour record is still like no kind of uh, no U.S. time trialist uh, really. You know, Tom Zerbel holds it, but he didn't really do a track focus, right? I mean, he rode like a modified, you know, road bike. You know what I mean? Zerbel has a huge engine, but I was basically riding a road skin suit and, yeah, you know, on a road TT bike. I mean, not, you know, I think uh, it's definitely, you know, it, it it's a big mark, but it's not crazy. Um, you know, but I think I, I would go sort of shooting for the U.S. hour record with the idea of like, at the very least, the the 40 plus and I will be 40 <laughs> this summer, which is crazy to think about it. But the 40 plus hour record, I, I think is, is certainly doable, um, you know, which would be fun. And, uh, but I, I mean, the, the, I think the hour, like I had sort of thought I might do it at some point, but I think now with who knows what racing there will be. So I'm sort of thinking like, well, rather than not being able to race at all on the track this year, might, might give a go in the fall at the hour. Although, I don't know when the track, you know, I basically, I haven't yeah. been on the track now in, in six or seven weeks. And, you know, obviously you can't do something like the hour if you haven't had any track time. Uh, you know, I mean, fitness is great, right? And I'm in great shape from, you know, riding you know, Zwift and I have, uh, but it's different. But I, yeah, I mean, I think there's, there's a lot of opportunity on the track. And I think that riding on the track is, again, like, you know, there's no fear of cars, Right? Like you can just really think about focus on riding your bike. And I, and I love yeah. that. And I think yeah, track is a little bit difficult in that you have to live somewhere where there is a good track. And I mean, that's where I never would have gotten into it, except that, you know, uh, one of the best tracks in the world is, you know, 10 minutes from work. And, you know, I ride there all the time. Uh, uh, you know, I've, I ride there basically. I go to the track early in the morning and then ride for, you know, 90 minutes or so and then head to work. Okay. How far is the, the hour record, the US hour record? How far are we talking? It's it's 53, I think, th- basically 53,300 would get it. I think it's like the wow. current one is, I think, 53,278 or something like that. But, I mean, I think you can see, like, I mean, most people, like, you looking at Tom Zerbel, I think, figure he probably was, like, 440 watts or something for the hour, where you think, like, oh, that's crazy. But then, of course, Zerbel is a huge guy. Uh, and then I think if you look at, you know, Dan Bigham, uh, you know, and the Hoob Watt Bike guys, right? Like, I mean, Dan just rode over that. I think Dan rode 53.5 in Derby on like 350 watts. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And so, I mean, you know, I think. The aerodynamics, a, the kit, the skin yeah, suit makes a yeah, huge, right? I mean, huge so, deal, doesn't it? Right? I think. Dan is, is smaller than I am, right? Like I'm quite a bit taller, but I still think, right, that, you know, be, and Darby is not a fast track, right? Like if, if Dan had done the, a similar effort in Aguas Calientes, right, I think he probably would have gone, you know, 54 high, right? I mean, maybe 54 and a half, wow. right? And so I think, you know, can I do, you know, 370, you know, for an hour, I think, you know, at altitude, I think that's probably doable, um, okay. you know, and I think with a much better equipment setup than Zerbel, I think like, you know, that 53, you know, 53.5 uh, plus is, you know, 54 plus maybe is, is even, is doable, right? So, okay. Um, well, you were always a guy who, who seemed well ahead of the curve in terms of 
aerodynamics, self-kit testing, bike position. I know you did some work with Zwift. I don't know exactly what work you did with, uh, sorry, with, um, with Zip. And, and you were constantly posting the stuff up on slow twitch of your, of your tinkering with your position. And I think you were one of the, the first guys who had that kind of hands high, chin down position that, you know, really seemed to pay dividends for you. Was that something that you, you really sort of applied your engineer's brain to the, the, the puzzle of working out the aerodynamics? Yeah, I mean, I was very fortunate to, to actually sort of, you know, fall into knowing, meeting and knowing and then working with Dan Enfield. Uh, you know, I think Dan really pioneered, you know, GT and triathlon bike fit, uh, you know, and I think, yeah, uh, you know, you saw Dave Zabriskie, uh, you know, this was some early days right on his TT bike and you're like, that's what it's supposed to look like. And essentially it was just like, I just had all these pictures and you would see like, and Dan would, and Dan, I remember would say, right. And I ended up sort of teaching bike fit with him. Right. And he's like, you look at these guys and all the guys that are winning these time trials, they all look the same. Yeah. Right? Like they all have this forward head down. Right. And so, you know, I basically just kind of just kept working until my position looked like that, you know, I had some help from John Cobb and I think it just kind of fell a little bit, fell into having that, that position. And some of it was, you know, I was uh, tall, like, you know, I'm almost, uh, 190 centimeters right six foot three uh and so you know like i needed to be arrow because you know not like some smaller guys where you can get away a little bit and so but i couldn't and so i think you know engineer brain and then i think some folks that knew a lot about bike fit and aerodynamics you know lucky to kind of come into contact with them and i think that's sort of where it came from and i think the thing was is that i didn't realize how important it was uh, you know, and how I didn't realize how much focus I had put on that until sort of at the end of my career when like all these other people basically caught up to me and then surpassed me. Right. I think like Sebastian Keenla and Jan Ferdano both like they were, have did such a better job, you know, and I sort of thought like, oh, I've taken care of that. Right. And like those guys, you know, were just continuing to take advantage of, you know, velodrome and wind tunnel testing right and testing different kit you know and like different positions and i think you can definitely get too far along in terms of tinkering right but i think i sort of was like you know i had had success as someone who had refined that and i thought you know like once i let my position be good enough you know i think it no longer was really an advantage um which was too bad and i think getting back on the track right and now doing a lot of testing, like I see, I could have gone so much faster if I had not stopped doing that, right? Because on the track, you know, I've shaved, you know, more than 10% off of my, you know, drag coefficient through position modifications and equipment modifications. I mean, wow. probably 15 to 20% of where I sort of started, like, because I started running the track as the way that I raced triathlon and, you know, position now is quite different uh, and way faster. <laughs> wow. Any any um any temptation to make a comeback in the triathlon world? Is that ever flicker through your brain? Uh, it did once. I mean, my, my we still my wife still has uh you know we still go back to Canada. Like I hadn't gone back for a long time, but you know my wife is Canadian, likes to go back, and then went basically took a week off from work, um you know uh, last summer and went back to Penticton, you know, with the family and just sort of got back out on the Ironman course there when they had announced that Ironman Canada was coming back. And I thought, oh, you know, like this yeah. would, I would come back for this, right? Like I would come back for Ironman Canada, you know, but that was when I was there, 
Yeah. You know, and I was, I was a week off from work and, you know, like nothing but riding, and, you know, sort of go down to the lake. And I, but and then as soon as I sort of left and went back home, I was like, eh, you know, like, <laughs> kind of faded again. Right. I think, I mean, a lot of it is just so much time, right? Like I, I am in fantastic. I mean, I'm so much faster as a cyclist now than I was when I was doing triathlon, you know, in large part because, right, you know, uh, it's all I do. And of course, when you're not tired from running, you can ride a lot faster. Um, but it's also, I think, you know, it feels like I'm not tired all the time, right? Like I spent, you know, 10 years where I was basically always tired. Uh, and now I'm not, uh, which is pretty <laughs> nice. And I don't know if I could go back to that. And I don't, and I don't have any sort of desire to just be like a participant. Like, I mean, when I thought about like, oh, I would go do Canada again, it was like, I would go do Canada again to win it again. You know, and I figured like I could, you know, sort of knowing what I know now about what didn't, didn't work for training. Like, I think I could probably get pretty far on like, you know, 15, 16 hours a week, right? Like I would basically keep riding just the same way that I'm doing, you know, and then probably, you know, three hours in the pool and then maybe three and a half to four hours of running, you know, which is from a relative standpoint, not a ton but I think about basically doing twice as much training and then also being tired, like, yeah. and for what, right? You know, like, to win a seventh Ironman? Like, what is yeah. that really? Yeah. You know, I, I like what I do now. You know, like, I get a lot of satisfaction out of what I do now, and there's nothing left on my bucket list, right? Like, the only thing would be to go win Kona, right? You know, yeah. that's not going to happen, so, so why? Well, let's talk about now, then, because you mentioned earlier the, the text that came through the minute you swapped your SIM card over um, and it says, Hey, come and talk to me about a job at Zwift. I was one of the, uh, you know, you mentioned earlier the thing about only weird people ride indoors. My dad was one of those weird people. I grew up with a, a dad with a turbo trainer set up in the garage all the time. And I always thought that was just normal. So I've always, I've always ridden indoors. And when Zwift came along and the, the beta test group was, was put out there, I thought this was the best thing since sliced bread when it first came out and I was riding around and there was just me and 10 others and ghosts on the road all the time. I thought this is the potential for it's brilliant, but never could have foreseen it growing the way that it has done. And, you know, the potential for, for having races on there, for having professional races happen. It's gone nuts, hasn't it? Over the last 18 months in particular. So talk us through, how you ended up working there and what your job is there. Yeah. So, I mean, I rode Zwift for the first time at the end of 2015, uh, as part of the they I was a big, uh, proponent of world bicycle relief. That was, I yeah. think, you know, in addition to winning races, right. I, I, the other thing that I'm most proud of, I raised almost $600,000 for world bicycle relief during my career. And they did a big fundraiser every year, uh, on Zwift. And so I got this message like, would you, this I think was the first time. And they said, we're doing this fundraiser with this thing with Zwift. Like, you know, like, would you like lead an hour ride? I thought, oh yeah, no, I can do that. I have a computer, right? Like I have a setup, uh, you know, like I have, I have a power meter, I have a trainer, right? Like yeah. I was like, I could do that. Um, so I did, uh, but I didn't really, I was like, like, okay. That was fine. You know, and so I wrote it, you know, maybe two or three times at the end of, I uh, wrote a couple times to get ready. So I was like, let me make sure I actually understand, like, what the heck this thing is. And then at the end of 2015, and then was like, okay, and then didn't write it again. I think until 
I think I actually missed the 2016 edition where they asked me to write again, uh, which would have been the next time I would have written on Zwift. But I was like, oh, I was ended up was traveling, uh, couldn't do it. But then in the beginning of 2017, um, it, was, it was a relatively wet winter in Southern California. And so I was like, you know, and I really don't like riding outside in the rain. Not because I don't want, I mean, nobody loves riding in the rain. I don't mind riding in the rain. What I don't like is riding in the rain with California drivers who are not used to driving in the rain. Right, yeah. Uh, and so, you know, ended up being like, oh, I got to ride, but can't, don't want to go ride outside in the rain just because I don't really feel safe. Uh, and especially it gets, you know, this was January, so it gets dark much earlier. Um, and so, all right, fine. Like, I'll use that Zwift thing. And at first, I mean, it was solely by necessity, and it took a while right now. I was like, okay, this is like whatever. And I think, you know, when we see this with, even with uh, other customers, right? Like, it takes a handful of rides to kind of get people over the hump. And then once yeah. they do, they're like, oh, I get this. Yeah. Right. And I sort of like, I did it enough that eventually I was like, oh, this is pretty fun. Right. And I love video games. Like, I've always loved video games. And so once I sort of like started to really perceive Swift as a game, I was like, then I got into it. You know, and then I started to see the value of it as a training tool, and I enjoyed it. And then, you know, I actually started, you know, choosing to do rides on Zwift just because it was an easier way to get in, like, a good workout and, you know, make the most of my time. I think all the reasons that, it, you know, a lot of people, uh, and then I just found that I just really enjoyed it. Uh, and so at the time I approached Zwift about sponsorship, I was still racing, and they sort of took a pass on that. And then I talked about maybe writing some coaching content, some workout content for them, and we're sort of in discussion that kind of never went anywhere and but that's how i had ended up sort of you know being in discussion with uh with john i mean the neat thing right is like zwift basically it is around because of slow twitch because john mayfield posted these screenshots and that's on slow twitch and that's yeah. how eric found him and then met him and so um you know i think john was was grateful for the role that slow twitch played and the role that you know i have uh still have actually at slow twitch and sort of managing the 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 back end of the site um and so i think you know john sort of said right it's like not interested in sponsoring you or paying you for that other stuff but might be interested in hiring you uh, as a designer really with a focus on i think sort of the training aspect of, of zwift right like you know making the training aspect of the platform better uh and so that's the role that i have now and so my my role is i'm a game designer and then my specific areas of responsibility are uh, the training and competition systems, right? So like training plans, workouts, like the race formats and a lot of that kind of stuff. Okay. So where do you, where do you see it going over the next year? What are some of the, what are some of the things you've got in the pipeline? Because like I said, I, I've watched the evolution of this from riding around pretty much on my own with ghosts on the road and hearing rumors that, Oh, well, maybe we're going to have a, an opportunity to do, timed sections and maybe we're going to have an opportunity to do races against other people and maybe we can have meetups and that's that's evolved and rolled forward in such a neat way that you know it's almost seamless now and it's hard to remember that it ever you know it was just that one little loop that you went around in about seven minutes um what's coming down the track yeah i think you know there was the answer right like a couple months ago and there's the answer now which is very different right i mean you know typically I mean, we're a relatively seasonal business, right? I mean, you know, people ride more, you know, when it's dark and cold. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, typically we would see our peak users kind of the second week in January, right? Like people get a new turbo for Christmas or the New Year's resolution, all of that. 
you know, I think we hit just under 17,000 peak users, right? Like concurrent users. So 17,000 just under riding at the same time. And we thought that was great, right? We were all kinds of on track. And then, you know, this whole thing with COVID happened. And I think, you know, we recently, you know, passed 35,000 concurrent users, right? Like, which, I mean, that never happens, right? Like we have this very kind of nice rolling staircase where, you know, we're, we're, we're oh, sort of always growing, you know, we kind of know when we're going to kind of like get back. And I think, I mean, this has changed everything for us. So I would have given you a very different answer, you know, two months ago, this sort of, well, you know, we're trying to sort of lay some foundation. I think the esports and the racing side of things had started to be a bigger deal, right? Like, I mean, we had started having discussions about doing a world championship, you know, e-racing, you know, and some national championships, you know, and I think we were, you know, and Eric has certainly talked about the idea of having it be, you know, a, a site, a unique discipline, you know, maybe 2028 Olympics. Um, some of that was derailed by uh, COVID because a lot of the the big esports events were supposed to be live venues, right? Like the national championships in a live venue. And those have all been canceled, right? And so I think mm. the idea was that, but now I think you're seeing a ton of of sort of high level elite racing, then suddenly then sort of the initial part was everything was canceled. And then it was like, once there was nowhere else, everything was canceled. Then I was like, well, there needs to be somewhere to race. And then, you know, I think you can see, we have this series of, you know, like real pro races, you know, hosted on GCN and all of that. And so it's sort of been this like, you know, esports is not a thing and that's a huge thing and it's not that, right. And so it's yeah. sort of like, it's been like, everything has been ping ponging back and forth where it changes all the time. And I think we're trying to, so a little bit like, we don't know what's next only because I don't know that anybody knows what's next, right? Like, you know, I think who knows what races will actually happen and when. Uh, and so I think from that standpoint, the, the near term is quite uncertain uh, for us as well as everybody else. But I think, you know, there certainly is, uh, we're starting to see what, you know, elite level racing on, on Zwift is like. And I think, that's important but i think you know it's also uh, i don't know if you're in the the we brought the beta group back together with this thing club jarvis uh yeah sort of beta testing new features and if you've just done any of the the boost mode uh events that was a that was a design that i had that uh have since kind of has now finally come to life it's been about a six-month project of sort of design and development um you know, I think people had a lot of mis. Oh, they're sticking e-bikes in Zwift, right? And it's not really right. It's like you don't get anything for free. It's more that you can charge up this this battery, but you actually, I mean, you pay a, a penalty a bit to charge it, right? And then you can, but it does give you some options, right? Like if you're, I'm not a great sprinter, but I have quite good endurance, so right, like I can give myself this extra 500 watts at the end if I'm willing to lug around, right, an extra, you know, like 25 pounds. Yeah. So I think. It's interesting if you watch some of the early streams, people were like, oh, it's going to be e-bikes. And everyone was like, that's the hardest workout that I've done in yeah. you know, eons. And I think so You know, it, it's both right. There is a appetite, I think, for more traditional bike racing. Uh, but then there's also we want to make, you know, Zwift racing unique and different and not just like, you know, oh, a cycling simulator. So I think we're trying to advance both sides of it. And then, of course, also make sure that, you know, elite racing is better, but then community racing is better. Um, I think we'd like to, you know, move to a more like a proper categorization system, mm. you know, where you can be like a cat one, two, three, four, five, you know, rather than just a sort of fixed ABCD, you know, people moving up and down and, 
Yeah. I think there's a that's the thing that I'm most excited about is sort of this idea of, you know, giving people categorization, sort of pulling that in from the real world, but then also pulling in sort of this idea of what I call specialization from the video game industry, right? Where you know where you sort of think like if you play any of the other MMOs, right? Like, oh I'm a spellcaster, oh I'm a you know barbarian or whatever, something like that to lean in, you know, more to the idea of sort of power ups and you know, that we more power-ups i think sort of specialized power-ups you know if you, you can own like a you know you could be, i'm a climber specialist and then you could have a super feather right which lasts you know three times as long or drops twice as much weight so i think you know making sure that we're advancing both of those both having a better system of sort of traditional categorization and then also more i think kind of gameplay uh so trying to kind of get more of the best of cycling and then more of the best of video games both yeah it's a different thing isn't it that's the that's the thing i i understood watching my son is eight and i had swift on and he came around and saw it for the first time and before i knew it the new kicker that i'd bought he was having me set up his little road bike on so he could ride around on swift next to me and i'm on the crappy old turbo still doing my workout next to him and he immediately got the gamification of it he was you know what does that feather mean what does this do oh right i get that so I like the fact it's not it's not just recreating bike racing. It's a, it's its whole other thing, and the gamification of even the stuff down to you know being able to unlock new kits sounds ridiculous. But I can remember doing extra hours on the bike just to unlock a pair of Zip 808s for my avatar to ride around on, on the early days. So it's a anything that can encourage people to do a bit more work is got to be a good thing, right? Yeah, and I think, you know, part of it is that we've tried to say, you know, how can we make sort of indoor riding and game, you know, make cycling more of a game to appeal to the traditional cycling audience. Yeah. But I mean, it's interesting, like, I'm quite an avid gamer and like, I, you know, watching some Twitch streams and things like that. And it's like, there's a lot of video games that like, I'm, I quite enjoy playing it, but I see these guys, right? And it's like, I want to be like, dude, you've been sitting in your chair for like seven hours straight. Right. Yeah. Right. And I think there is a part of me that also wants to say, like, there's a huge opportunity to speak to the video game crowd and say, like, like, hey, I'm not saying that you shouldn't. Well, maybe, I mean, I might, but I'm sort of more broadly saying, right. I'm not saying you shouldn't, you know, spend 12 hours, right, playing Fortnite. But maybe rather than playing 12 hours playing Fortnite, and then you know like on like you know seven cans of monster right and then like that's all you do like you can also maybe ride a bike or do yeah. something else right and i think there is a huge opportunity for people that love video games to say like exercising can be a game too and i think getting some of these you know kids and young people to at least like okay maybe go from you know 10 hours of Fortnite to nine and a half and then 30 minutes of Zwift. Yeah. Right? Like I think you look at some of these big esports tournaments, right? Like I think, you know, where they have a, a like lunch break and stuff like that. I think it would be awesome to see some of those guys that are not, you know, world-class athletes, but you know, on some of the more game type modes to like have like a lunch break thing, be like a 30 minute Zwift race at something like a league of legends, you know, big esports tournament, you know, to encourage kids, right, to be active, right? Yeah. I think that, yeah. you know, that's something that I think is uh, maybe unrealized, right? Like, we're such a sort of cycling-focused product, right? It's like, how do we make cycling more of a game, right? And I think you could also say that, like, how do we make 
gaming more fitness oriented. Yeah. Uh, and I think I'm equally as excited about that in, in large part, I think, you know, from a sort of health and wellness standpoint of, you know, like, like if these, I'm not saying that like esports, you know, uh, and kids, right. Like that they need to you know become hardcore cyclists. But I think, you know, if you could get them to spend, you know, 20 or 30 minutes a day exercising, uh, like, I think that would be a huge win. And we know that they love gaming, right? So it's like, oh, like, I'm not, I'm not exercising. I'm playing Zwift. Yeah. Like, I think that would be fun. Yeah. Well, one thing we've really noticed during the last six to eight weeks in particular during this whole COVID thing is just how good it's been at bringing the athletes that we coach together in terms of, you know, getting them all together on Zwift at the same time, running Discord on our phones and all chatting to each other. And it becomes like a social ride on the social ride ones. On the workouts that we do, it can be people encouraging each other in between the intervals to keep on going. It's a really great way to bring people together at a time when people can't get out and and do any kind of meeting up of people in the usual real world. Um, And we've seen the numbers massively jump on the, the weekly podcast power hour ride that we do at Tuesdays at 7.15, where the numbers have grown to 120, 130 people online together doing a group workout, which... It's just amazing that you get people from all over the world coming to try one of your workouts because from a, you know, frankly, from a coaching business point of view, what other platform gives the opportunity to let people try something before they buy it effectively and see if they like the workouts and, and how it affects them? Yeah, I think, you know, there is, we could do more for groups, you know, I think uh, just kind of piloting clubs as a as another beta feature, you know, do more for coaches, I think you know, allow coaches to kind of connect more easily with clients around the world and all of that. You know, I think there is, there's so much that I think we're seeing that we can do. And I think the hard part right now is right. I think it's a blessing, but uh, you know, it's a challenge certainly as well. Right. Cause like, you know, like more than doubled, uh, you know, number of users and sort of de- demand, but we definitely did not double, you know, like our engineering resources in that same right. time. And so I think it's it's trying to figure out, you know, what can we what can we get out the door, uh, you know, quickly, and, you know, that's but that's not sort of wasted work. And you know, what should we prioritize? Um, yeah. You know, over some, you know, what else? And I think that's, uh, you know, it's also exposed, you know, some of the bugs and flaws, you know, in the program and making sure that, you know, we're addressing those things, right? I think, you know, we had done simulated load tests up to 50,000 users, but a simulated test is not the same as, you know, almost 50,000 users, actual users, right? Like, it's like, oh, it's a little bit different. So I think it's been, it's been a great stress test and it's still a great stress test. And it's, you know, pushing us both uh, to be better as a sort of core platform and to be more innovative. And I think, you know, there's, there's no shortage of good ideas. And I think it's, you know, what do we do when? And, you know, I think, you know, if we had unlimited time, you know, I think John always used to say, right, like people like, is this possible? And John was a father saying like, anything's possible enough time and money, right? But, uh, you know, and so I think that's the hard part, right? Is that there is no, there is no shortage of of great ideas. And I think it's, what do we do when? Uh, And that is not an easy decision. Well, man, that seems like a good place to leave it. I think it's uh, let's leave you uh, to, to mull over what the future holds for us on Zwift. It's been great catching up with you, man. I've, I've wanted to have you on the show for years and it's been great to hear some of your stories. So thank you very much for taking the time to come on and talk to us.
Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's uh, it's nice to, you know, I, I say there's some still some fringe benefits of, you know, a career that uh, spanned quite a long time that uh, it's it's funny, though. I'm glad to be what I am now. I think uh, there's a, a a young woman at work uh, and some, who is sort of chasing, I think, a little bit of the triathlon dream. Someone said, oh, you should you should ask Jordan. He, he was a pro triathlete. And, you know, she's young and she came up to me. She's like, I heard you were a pro. Did you have much of a career? And I was like, and I said, you know, I said, that was all right. <laughs> and then she was like, that's nice. And I thought, like, this is awesome, right? Like, it's great to just be uh, what I am, to be a game designer at Zwift. Nice. Well, that's a great place to leave it, man. You're happy with where you are and what you're doing. And, you know, you've accomplished some absolutely amazing stuff in the world of athletics. Most of us can only dream of. And now you're creating some pretty amazing stuff so we can all get off our fat backsides and, and do a little bit of work on, on the turbo and be entertained at the same time. So thank you very much for that, too. Yeah, thank you. Uh, all right, man. I'm off to go do my morning ride. Good stuff. Take care, buddy. Thanks a lot. Great interview there with Jordan. I, it's a really great opportunity for me to get Jordan on because, like I said, I really enjoyed following his career and he had such a great blog as he was racing. He posted up so many detailed, not just race reports, but he was really one of the, the first guys who tinkered with his position and aerodynamics. And, and a lot of the engineering bits and bobs he came up with, I believe, ended up being put into production by Zip. Some of the <clears throat> sort of between the bars aero bottles um he he kind of produced that in his own garage i believe if my memory's correct i didn't get a chance to ask him about that unfortunately but yeah i remember watching him produce all kinds of little threads on slow twitch about how he tinkered with um little bits of his equipment and eventually the stuff that he made was better than stuff that was out there at the time so it ended up going into production which which was awesome um yeah, so really cool stuff there with Jordan. Great to hear his stories about being a pro triathlete and also great to hear about all the things that are going on at Zwift. Which brings me smoothly on to gently encouraging you beautiful people to join us on our Oxygen Addict Triathlon Power Hour on Zwift. You get to actually try out some of the workouts that I'm writing for our athletes. We all do them together as a group ride. 7.15pm UK time on Tuesdays. Everyone starts together, everyone stays together as a group, no matter how strong or powerful they are. Um, the whole group stays together. As long as your pedals keep moving, you're going to stay in the group altogether. And we've got a good bit of chat goes on in the group as well to encourage people along. As I said, as part of the interview, we've had, I think, 125 people on from about 20 different countries last week. Um, places all over the world, not, not just like America and Canada and Australia, but we had people on from Guatemala and Guam and places like that. So it's amazing the global reach that the platform has got, but also if the people that have heard of us on the podcast as well. So come along and join us. Give it a go. Um, if you're short of something to do on a Tuesday evening, it's a really great way to make the hours training go by faster. And um, yeah, that pretty much brings us to the end of this week's show. So come and join us on the on the podcast ride. If you enjoy what's going on in the podcast ride, you can come and join us as a coached member of Team Oxygen Addict. Remember, we've got the offer on at the moment that if you join during May 2020, we're going to extend an annual membership all the way through to September of 2021. So no matter what happens in terms of racing this year, you can effectively look at it as four and a half or five months of free coaching to get you through this season 
get you all the way through October through to February and build some really strong bike power and then race into 2021. Um, hopefully when things have returned back to normal again. So yeah, come over and check that out. There's a link in the show notes to, uh, to join up and, and come join the team. It'd be awesome to have you as part of, uh, part of our coached athletes team there. Also, thanks very much to our sponsors, Precision Hydration. Remember, use the code OxygenAddict15 to get 15% off your first order. And thanks to Thriver.co, you can use the code OxygenAddict10 to get 10% off all the subscriptions for your at-home health tracking finger prick blood tests. So until next week, everybody, remember there's links to um, excuse me, all of those in the show notes so you don't have to remember them. Until next week, have a great safe training and racing week. I'm Coach Rob Wilby and you've been listening to the Oxygen Addict Triathlon Podcast. See ya. See ya.